You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. All right, how many people have heard of the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand. Which one do you guys think is the hardest one to follow? (laughs) I heard like... That's what I just heard. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some really difficult ones to follow. Uh, for me, I don't have any problem with killing. Um, but I would have to imagine that there's a couple of people who are like, oh my gosh, like I want to I kill someone today. Like that's a big thing. Um, not so much for me. Uh, I, I heard somebody say, honor my father and mother, right? Like, on, like that's a big one. That's a really, really big one. Um, a lot of people who moved here from another place, uh, their parents will come visit and their parents will be like, why are you living here? Like, why is this happening? Like, you should move back or whatever. And that would be tough, right? To honor your father and mother would be difficult. You know, the one I have a lot of trouble with is uh, the Sabbath one, the rest one. How many people have trouble with rest? Like actually stopping? Yeah, like most of us, yeah. Um, you know, so as a pastor, I guess I get time to reflect on this stuff. But the one that has been hardest, hardest for me over the past, oh, I don't know, five years, I'm gonna tell you, is the one that says, you shall have no other gods before me. That one's the hardest one for me. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why it's the hardest one for me. Uh, it's the hardest one because uh, um, we love, we all love certainty. We've talked a ton about certainty, right? We love it. Um, in fact, if you were here last year for my Easter message last year, which none of you forgot, um, I talked about how our brain is actually wired for certainty. I talked about how we have this thalamus, and this thalamus says um, that there are two parts, and you have a black part and a white part, and so you need certainty. And so when we don't have certainty, our brains, they literally hurt. That's what happens when we don't have certainty. So when it comes to God, or when it comes to worshiping, we want to worship in certainty. That's a really, really big deal. And so when you worship in certainty, you have images. You have these physical images that help you to understand what certainty looks like. So if you were alive in the time of Jesus, there was a really good chance that you worshiped the god Zeus. And so you had this image of Zeus. Do we have, yeah, the image of Zeus right there. And Zeus is powerful. And Zeus is a little crazy. But that's okay, because you're a little crazy too, right? And so you worship this god Zeus. And Zeus is like, um, you know, it, it's there. It's certain. This is the image. This is what you're worshiping. You know it. You got it, right? Um, maybe people here are here today. They're visiting. You're Hindu or you're Buddhist. Um, those are, you know, you have these, these wonderful, these incredible images of the Buddha or image of Ganesh, right? There are these beautiful images that you have. Um, you get to worship a God of prosperity, and, and that's right there. You're able to see that. It's right in front of you. There's certainty around it. You can see that image, right? And then we get to us, Christians, right? People who celebrate Christianity or who worship the, the Christian God. And the thing is, we never quite know exactly who God is. We aren't certain about what God looks like. So yeah, so the Simpsons always do this. Like, who watches the Simpsons? I love it. They, they do this all the time. You never quite get God. Like, you just never quite get God. And that is it. Like, you know, then God comes around and says, no, I don't even want you to have any images, I don't want you to have any images at all, which messes with us because our brains want that certainty. We want to be able to see what it is we're worshiping. Now, on one level, I get this. On one level, I think this is cool because our God is saying, I'm way too big and way too infinite to be contained in an image. That's a cool thing. But on the other hand, like, it messes with us. It really does. So you get this story in Exodus, and the story in Exodus says Moses goes to a mountaintop, and he says, hey, God, can I see you? And God goes, if you saw me, you would die for my glory. And Moses goes, it's okay then, I don't need to see you. And so (laughs) Moses comes back down uh, and he's got the Ten Commandments and all these people are down there and they're worshiping a golden calf. Why are they worshiping a golden calf? They're doing it because they don't have this image of God. They're uncertain. 
It's difficult. It's a struggle. This calf is there. It's in front of them. It's physical. It, it helps their thalamus to work the way it needs to work, right? We struggle with not having images, this image of God. Well, today, well, not today, but most days, is a day that we get to talk about Jesus, right? So we talk about Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up a few thousand years later. And Jesus is this incredible image of God, right? We, we believe that, that God, if we want to know the character of God, we just look at Jesus. Jesus is God here on earth. That's what we think, right? And so we love this image of God so much. In fact, we love the image of God on the cross so much because it's beautiful. It's this image of, you know, God died. God died for us. God died a sacrificial death for us. And you know what? This image is so powerful and so important that you know that in the year 787, this council, this religious council, it's called Council of Nicaea, they said, you know what? You no longer have to follow that commandment that says to have no other images before you because the image of God on the cross or Jesus on the cross is so powerful that it's the image you can be certain of. Did you guys know that? And now you know everything, right? It's pretty cool. So what do we do? We all got really poorly made and poorly drawn tattoos on our arms of the cross, Right? That's what I did anyway. Uh, some of us have the cross hanging around our necks with Jesus on the cross. Uh, some of us uh, have the cross hanging up at our house, right? And Jesus is on the cross at our house. And we were certain that was the image that we got to look at. That's what we got to see. Oh, and then Jesus ruined it all. You know why Jesus ruined it all? Because he had to go and rise again. He had to go and be resurrected. He had to go and come off the cross. And that resurrection piece, man, that is incredible news when you believe it, when you believe it. All right, you don't have to raise your hand unless you want to. Be honest, how many people sometimes doubt the resurrection? I promise I won't punish you. It's like I'm punishing all of you. No, 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 just kidding, just kidding. No, I, I think the deal is this, right? We are so wired for certainty. We want certainty, right? We want it so badly. And yet we come here to church, when we're here at church, and we come maybe like once a year, and we come once a year because we're like, you know what, I'm not certain about this resurrection. In fact, it's scientifically implausible that this resurrection even happened. What am I supposed to do with this? And so we come to church because it's a good cultural thing, it's a thing that we should do. There's a few of us here like that, it's okay. I think there are some of us who are like, you know what, I love church, I, I come because I really enjoy the community, but I really struggle with the idea there was a Jesus who came back to life and now lives among us. It's a really difficult thing for me, so I don't know uh, how long I can live out this journey, and it's a bit of a struggle. That happens. I think there are some of us who are sitting here going, you know what, I have to be completely certain in the, in the resurrection, I have to, because if I'm not, it'd be like a brick that it's like pulled out of a wall and everything else just comes tumbling down and I don't have the time to think through that, like I just don't, and so I think some of us feel that way about the resurrection, and then I think there's plenty of you here that are like, Jonathan, do you know what it like took me to get to church today just finish your message please like there's a bunch of you like that that's okay I get that I'm going to tell you something because I think it's important as a pastor uh for you to hear from me the pastor I really think it's important as you guys know uh I'm a pretty honest guy I've always been yeah I doubt the resurrection too sometimes I really struggle with the resurrection sometimes. As someone who absolutely chooses to believe in a God who loves me, and as someone who chooses to believe in a God who wants me to use my brain and think about science, it's really, really hard to believe this resurrection sometimes. But here's the deal. I choose to believe in the resurrection because this resurrection brings about tremendous hope. It brings about incredible hope. And it brings about incredible privilege to each and every one of us. And so here's what I want to tell everyone today. I want to tell us all that our doubts... Our uncertainties, the mystery, that's not the end of this Christ journey. That's not the end. The resurrection, this is just the beginning. 
This is the good stuff. This is where we actually get to take part in this death and resurrection. This is where we actually get to bring about God's peaceful kingdom. That's where we get to bring about this stuff. It is good news, okay? That's why it is good news. That's why we could say Christ is risen indeed because this is just the beginning, just the beginning of our journey. And so what I want to do today, because we're at a Christian church, is open up the Bible. Can we do that? And I want to take a look at uh, the gospel accounts. There's four of them. Uh, and here's the deal with the four gospel accounts of the risen Jesus Christ. The deal with the, with, these risen, with the accounts of the risen Christ is that they're not made to bring about certainty. Not a single one is made to have you say, now I know, and because I know, I can do what I need to do. No, none of them are. And so we're going to go ahead and take a look at each of them. In fact, if you want to go ahead and, and pay attention to the, the, what I have on the screen, we're going to talk about Mark, the gospel of Mark. Uh, Jesus is raised from the dead and this woman named Mary Magdalene comes and, and she comes to the tomb and Jesus is gone and an angel says, Jesus is gone, uh, you need to go, he's risen and so she runs and she runs into Jesus and she worships Jesus but then she goes and tells the disciples but the disciples don't believe her. It's kind of crazy, right? Like there's doubt right there. They don't believe her. Then we go over to the book of Luke and in the book of Luke we have this incredible story of two men walking down this road. They're walking down this seven mile road and then Jesus shows up, the resurrected Jesus shows up, but they don't recognize him. And Jesus says, hey, gents, why so glum? And they say, haven't you heard? Jesus died. And he goes, I did hear. And then he keeps walking with them. And they say, you know what? You might as well come eat with us. And so the resurrected Jesus goes and eats with these men. And when the bread breaks, the men recognize Jesus, and then Jesus disappears. Not necessarily a story that's going to bring a lot of certainty, Right? John is my favorite, uh, just in, in terms of like the beautiful storytelling of John. I love John. It's incredible. And John, uh, once again, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, which is cool. Uh, and this time she sees a gardener, and the gardener happens to be Jesus. That's incredible imagery. I love that. Like Jesus is the gardener. He's this, she's bringing things to life. He's making things new. I love that. It's beautiful. And, uh, and then Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears two more times. He walks through a bolted door one time to meet the disciples interesting. And then the last time he sees them, he's cooking breakfast on the shore. And he says, disciples, come eat breakfast with me. And I love that because when you die and you come back to life, you are hungry. And so he makes breakfast because breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And so that's what Jesus does, right? So that's the, what we have, right? We have these conflicting gospel accounts. We have these beautiful gospel accounts that show new life and new imagery, but none of them are there to necessarily make a certain Let's talk about the one I want to talk about today. I want to talk about Matthew today, all right? And in Matthew, Jen just read it for us before, but I think it's important enough to read again. Um, uh, when, when, when Jesus uh, is, shows himself to the disciples, this is what happens. It says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm a big fan of this path. I'm going to tell you why. Number one, when you are resurrected, you go to the top of a mountain. That's where you go, right? You go meet someone at the top of the mountain. I love that imagery. It's beautiful. Um, you know, if, if you die and you come back to life, you're not like, hey, let's go to Dave's house and eat pizza rolls. Like, that's not what you're going to do. Like, regal, right? Top of the mountain. It's amazing. But here's what's more amazing. What's more amazing is this passage that says they see Jesus. The 11 disciples see Jesus. And they say, some worshiped and some doubted. 
Now, the Greek translation is some worshiped and some were standoffish. That's sort of the Greek translation. They sort of stood in the back. They didn't believe it. And these 11 disciples, they're with Jesus. <laughs> they're with Jesus every day. Every day for three to five years, they're with Jesus. They see the healings. They see Lazarus being brought back to life. They, they see, like, the incredible teachings. They, they saw it all. It was there right in front of their faces. This was it, right? And some believed. And then others are like, nah. No, they doubted. They doubted. It was too much. So what does Jesus do? This is the climax right here. What does Jesus do with these guys? What happens? What's Jesus going to do with them? Is he going to send them away? Are they, is he going to throw them off the mountain? Is there a lake of fire somewhere? What does Jesus do? Jesus says, go, go and preach the gospel. Go and talk about my resurrection. Talk about the fact that my resurrection brings about unconditional love. Talk about the fact that my resurrection brings about amazing grace. Talk about the fact that my resurrection brings this counterintuitive peace that tells people to love their enemies. Go do that, except for the you who doubted. I need you to sit down, and I'm going to have a four-point message on why I really came back to life. Let's do it. Is that what Jesus did? Go! Everybody go. Tell them about unconditional love, amazing grace, counterintuitive peace. Go, except for you who doubt it. I'm going to give you about 30 minutes to get it right, and then you're in trouble. Go. Talk about all that stuff. Believe this dogma to the other ones. Believe it before you go and do anything. To those who worshiped and to those who doubted, Jesus says, go. To those who are certain and to those who are uncertain, he says, go, live out that resurrection. Live out the fact that there is a new love, a new grace, and a new peace. Go live that out. To those who are certain and to those who doubt, go show people what my resurrection brings. And that brings peace and new life and a new way of thinking. Go live that out. Hey, to you who doubt and to you who have these really neat and straight lines, I want you to go. Go live out the resurrection. There is no distinction between the two because here's the deal. Jesus' resurrection does not mean we know now. It doesn't mean we're certain now. It doesn't mean we have it all figured out. It means that we're living in the fullness of humanity. And guess what humanity includes? Uncertainty, struggle, death, but it also includes life. To live in this place, this place of maybe where we doubt or living in uncertainty is just living the fullness of the resurrection. It's living in humanity. That's what it does. Our doubts are not the end of our journey. Our uncertainty is not the end of our journey. The mystery is not the end, it's the beginning. Um, I went on a field trip last week with first graders to the uh, Brooklyn Children's Museum. It was exactly like it sounds. <laughs> it was something else. And I had, uh, I had five girls that I was in charge of. And I was in charge of these five girls, and one of the girls was looking at this ecosystem thing that has, like, turtles and fish and everything else. And I looked at her, and she was, like, getting really frustrated. Uh, and she was kind of, like, pouting a little bit, like, you know, kind of on the verge of tears or whatever. And I walk over to her, and I said, like, what's going on? And she goes, I can't, I can't read about the turtles, and I want to know about the turtles, but I can't read about them because I still don't really know how to read that well. And it was, yeah. So I, I knelt down. And I looked her in the eye, and I was like, get it together. <laughs> I was like, read. Ugh. <sighs> no, I didn't know. I knelt down, I looked her in the eye, I said, it's okay. You, you don't know how to read yet, right? Not yet. Well, what do you want to know? Tell me what you want to know. I can help you. I want to know about this. Okay, let's read it together. Let's sound out some words. 
We are so good at giving our children grace. We are so incredibly good about letting our children take a journey, take steps, make these little movements, be a little bit broken. We're so good at it. And yet when it comes to us being adults, get it together. How come I don't know? How come I don't have it figured out? There's not a God up there that's going, you don't believe in the resurrection? There's a God up there going, okay, what don't you know? How can I walk with you? What are you trying to accomplish? How can I help you figure this out? And in the middle of that, God is saying, you have the incredible power, the incredible privilege of showing other people what the resurrection looks like. You have the incredible privilege of showing people that love, that grace, the peace of the counterintuitive kingdom. Do we believe it, though? Do we believe it? There's this quote, uh, and I love it, and it's from this guy named uh, Meister Eckhart, uh, who's a theologian, and he's a, a, a philosopher, and so th- this quote that he does is uh, a quote about the virgin birth, and I switched it up a little bit just to make it about, just to make it about Easter, um, which I don't think I'm allowed to do. That's plagiarism, but uh, uh, basically it says this. It says, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but if it takes not place in me, what avails it? Everything lies in this, that it should take place in me. Meister Eckhart. So here's the beauty of the resurrected Christ. The beauty of this story, the beauty of this thing is that, is that we don't have to know. We don't have to have it figured out. Right? We just have to be on the journey. And to be on the journey means that this resurrection story is taking place in us. It means that it's not an all or nothing proposition. Either we don't believe or we do believe we're gonna do it, we're not gonna do it. No, it's taking place in us one step at a time, little by little, with a little help along the way. What does it look like for the resurrection to take place in us? What does it look like? I was on the train last week and a woman was crying on the train. Isn't that the worst when you see people crying on the train? I feel terrible about it. She was crying. I said, is there anything I could do to help you? And she goes, move. She yelled at me. And I moved real fast, not because I was scared, but because I was like, that's what she needs. And I walked out of the way. Somebody offered her a tissue, and um, she didn't take it. And then somebody came over. I don't know who they were. They came over, and they just put their hand on her shoulder. And she didn't move her hand. She didn't move that person's hand. And the person just kept their hand on her shoulder. And um, I don't know what they were doing, maybe praying or something. And then it was their time to get off, and so they left. And they said to the crying woman, they said, God bless, and they got off the train. That's why I choose to believe in the resurrection. Because I see the resurrection alive in that person who put their hand on that woman's shoulder. That's why I choose to believe it. I choose to believe in the resurrection because there's this guy named Henry Nouwen who I love to read and I think he's incredible. And Henry Nouwen was this giant scholar and packed out rooms everywhere and he was a professor at Notre Dame. And then he was like, you know what? I'm gonna give it all up to work at a place called Lay Arch which helps mentally impaired kids who can't do anything. And so he stopped go- like being at Notre Dame and instead he started like brushing the teeth of young teenage mentally impaired kids who couldn't brush their teeth on their own and started feeding people who couldn't feed themselves and started dressing people who couldn't dress themselves. You know why I believe in the resurrection? Because I see the resurrection played out in someone like Henry Nouwen. That's why I believe in it. If you were uh, at our church at all during Lent, we had a Lent tree, which is now filled with beautiful flowers. But our Lent tree was filled with, um, with prayers, prayers of the imperfect, 
prayers of those who are suffering from addiction and pain and anxiety and hurt and all the rest. We all wrote these down and we came over and we put them on this tree. And you know why I believe in the resurrection? I believe in the resurrection because on the last Sunday of Lent, we all just got up. All of our imperfect, messed up, broken, uncertain selves got up, picked one of those prayers off the tree, somebody else's, and we said, I'm going to pray for this person because I believe that there is wholeness that comes to this person. That is why I believe in the resurrection. That is why I believe the resurrection is lived out. I believe the resurrection is lived out. I believe in the resurrection every time I see someone who stands up to systematic oppression. That's when I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection every single time there is someone who says, you know what, you are in deep, deep pain, and I'm just going to sit here with you. I'm just going to sit with you. That's why I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection when I see someone who's in a hospital bed and they're about to lose their life here. And I think I believe in the resurrection even more at that time where there's not a death, but there's a rebirth. And that happens because of the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection every single time. Someone says, you know what? I'm here to make peace, not keep peace. That's when I believe in the resurrection. Our doubts, our uncertainties, that's not the end. That's the beginning the beginning of this journey that God calls us to. And God says, hey, some worship, some doubt, great. All of you, go. Go live out the resurrection. Go live out the peace. Go live out the unconditional love. Go live out the grace. Show grace to others. Go do that. Go be the resurrection. I want you guys to close your eyes for a sec. And as you close your eyes, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray a prayer for all of us, including me today. As I pray, the band's gonna come up and we're gonna take communion. We're gonna celebrate the fact that there's a a, a Jesus who is alive. But let's pray this. Father, thank you for letting us to be, thank you for letting us be a disciple and be conflicted about Jesus. Thank you for letting us live out the resurrection. God, thank you for allowing us to ever be in transition about our beliefs and still allowing us to live out the resurrection. God, thank you for allowing us to embrace doubts and the mysteries of the resurrected Christ and still go out to live the resurrection. Lord, thank you for the fact that you allow us to celebrate mystery rather than conquering mystery and still allow us to go out and celebrate the resurrection. Lord, thank you that even though this resurrection might not be knowable, it brings endless hope and possibilities to each and every one of us. And God, thank you that some worship and others doubt, and you say to both, go live out the resurrection. Amen.